Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that explores the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about American imports, namely The Office. And here with me to talk about The Office are my two best friends, Nick T. Voted in this year's Dundies, person you don't want to stand behind in the elevator. And Nick Z. All right, all right. I've got the greatest deal for you on this paper. It is Fulbright, 24-pound, A4. It comes in uh, uh, a thousand sheets in a box. How can you turn this down? Says uh, 100% post-consumer materials in the back. Come on. Sounds like a man who knows his paper. Helps being surrounded by paper boxes. What's the weight of the paper? Um, One sheet or like... Ooh. What do you you mean? Doesn't sound like your Dunder Mifflin material. Uh, 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 maybe not. Maybe I'm not a Dunderhead. Did that ever come up on the show? I don't think it did, but apparently that's the name for the fans. What? Whether they've given it to themselves or it's people outside of the fandom calling them that but uh that's uh one of the names that i i saw well the only one but yeah let's set that first impression aside and instead pick <laughs> up a different first impression before we got into this episode what were your different thoughts on the office if you had any i know i did all right so before this episode chloe and i watched the office not that long ago maybe Maybe a month ago now, we watched the entire thing. But before that, I knew it as like a show pretty much everybody loved. I loved going through university and everything like that. New people and, and most people had seen a good chunk of The Office. I'd seen maybe seasons two through four, uh, maybe 2010 or something like that. And what it came off to me is like it, it birthed like the mockumentary sort of style. But the main thing I remembered it was being... A very mean-spirited show. <laughs> like, it was <laughs> it was a show of, like, disappointment and awkwardness and stuff like that, which made it so weird to me that, that people seemed to watch it so much. And uh, referring to my famous last words, which I'll get to a bit later, but it seemed like a sad version of Parks and Rec to me. Mm. But yeah, I knew I knew it was very popular, and I knew it was, like, like, a downer a lot of the time. I'll say that. Got it. It's interesting that you bring up that it was one of the things that popularized the mockumentary, because I'm just looking it up on Google to, to kind of see, because nothing really comes to mind except for maybe Parks and Rec, but that came after. Uh, but other things on this list are, like, Modern Family, which also came after, Trailer Park Boys, which came before, mm-hmm. Curb Your Enthusiasm, which came before. Those are the big ones that I can see. I would say... Arrested Development had the same camera style, but it didn't have, like, uh, talking heads. Ah, got it. Yeah, so I don't know if that was that would be a full-blown mockumentary, but uh, it, it sort of had that, that single-camera documentary-style filming. Yeah. I had never really thought about how the camera works until I very recently watched an episode of The Office, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Most of my first impressions of The Office were via, of course, the way you consume all content on the internet these days, and that is memes and GIFs. Ah. So I got the impression that The Office is kind of like The Simpsons, or, I don't know, a throwback to last episode, or like flossing. Mm. It's just something that people know 
and have experienced and is a shared cultural reference, but maybe is literally nothing else to anyone. Like it has no inherent meaning other than to communicate meaning, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It is known for being known, like it's known for being around. Right. It's like the Kardashians. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. That was my first impression of it. And uh, the thing that I'm trying to figure out and I'm hoping to learn more about as we talk about things this episode is, you know, are there these people that are diehard fans of The Office? Because a lot of the folks that I'd seen who enjoy The Office are just that. They're folks that passively enjoy the show. Also, before I'd even seen any of it, one of my first impressions was just that it seems really cringy and I'm generally not a fan of that style of humor. So, I don't know. But Z, what did you think of The Office before we'd even started anything? Not a lot, really. (laughs) At least of the American one. I feel like, you know, kind of hung around in the same circles as G, so probably heard about it here and there. Probably heard references that I didn't get because I wasn't watching it at the time. But my impression of the, the American one was just that it was, you know, this show aping this uk original and it was around the time that there was a show called life on mars that had come to my attention and it was also originally an english show and that had an american adaptation but the american adaptation of that took so many liberties and like made so many things that weren't supposed to be literalized literal that sort of rubbed off on my opinion of the office the american office thinking well you know, this can't be that great because obviously no American audience is going to have the patience to sit and watch this this terrible, absolutely abhorrent human being transform into somebody caring and compassionate over many, 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 many episodes. But I guess I was wrong. I mean, I had seen the UK office. I'd watched it. I'd, I'd actually more or less binged it, which is a rarity for me. But people watch it. They like it. But can't be that great can't be as good as the original i haven't seen the uk version of the office but having not seen it i have a hard time imagining ricky gervais becoming a person that people would like (laughs) i mean it's not like he turns into a saint at the end or anything but he he becomes much less hateable so having recently watched it um there's no way that we're gonna leave this episode without me uh expressing some of my opinions on the show directly (laughs) and i'll use that to pivot into our next topic one thing that i always had in my head because i saw a bit of the british office was that oh the british office is like david brent ricky gervais's character is just like the most awful human being and he's just a worthless piece of crap and they've cleaned it up they made it less cringy for american audiences I would like to revise that statement. I think Michael Scott is a piece of garbage. Oh, absolutely. I was super upset that he never got fired. Yeah. Yeah. I started to watch the series in preparation for this episode. And I've watched two episodes so far. And especially after episode two, Diversity Day. Oh. I don't know why he is still employed. I... (sighs) But weirdly... A lot of the people who, and this is one of the things I wanted to talk about when we did this episode, the people who watched The Office constantly 
on a loop, like just in the background or like when they're going to bed and stuff, they just have it on constantly. Weirdly, a lot of people will only watch up to when Michael leaves, (laughs) which I find baffling. Yeah. Well, for one thing, this is hard for me to comment on because like many shows and and movies and whatnot, I know of them, but I have not necessarily consumed them. And when Michael leaves, I believe that is the point that fans are like, this is really when the show ended. Because it goes on for like another season or two after that, but I haven't really heard of anyone who's happy with what happens after that point. I did come across a few people who mentioned that the fact that uh, Michael Scott does leave at that point makes the last two seasons feel like a different enough of a show that by the time they get to the end of season nine, it's so easy to go back to season one, episode one, because it feels, again, like it's a just different enough show, which helps with the whole looping back over and over and over again. To me, it was a uh, a collective sigh of relief when Michael left. Oh. Because <laughs> I feel like the idea of watching a show on a loop constantly, and we talked to... Uh, Jen about this in the Bob's Burgers episode. She does that with Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's it's the warm fuzzies, right? That's why you're watching it. You know you're getting something good out of it. And I feel like that feeling really doesn't get into the show until Michael leaves. Because no matter how much he cries or whines or whatever, the only thing he cares about is himself. To the very end. He does not redeem himself enough <laughs> to get a tearful goodbye from me. And I feel like the rest of the cast, which is like where the heart of the show is, gets more spotlight. Yeah. So I feel like it's those later seasons that actually like have more of that warm feeling. I don't have that that first person eyewitness kind of perspective because I haven't haven't watched the whole series yet. But from what I was reading on Quora and Reddit, it sounded like maybe part of the show's draw and why people enjoy it so much is because opinions are very diversified, focused in on, like, one single character. Like with Michael. I'm sure that a huge part of the fan base absolutely loves it when he's gone. Because then he's gone. He's never redeemed. Never never makes up for all the terrible stuff he does. But then there are other people who say that they like watching his his transformation over time. One example that came up was uh, in the episode when Pam has like an art show and he shows up and says that he's proud of her. Okay. I've seen those gifts. Yes. A lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people like cite that as not necessarily him being like redeemed, but him showing some redemptive quality at least. And it, it left me with the impression that one of the reasons why people like to watch it in a loop is they like to see that transformation happen over and over and over again. And I think, I think it might tie back to something that actually happened behind the scenes of the show. When they were filming episode six of season one, the general feeling amongst the crew and the cast was this show is is done. You know, one and done. Not really what the audience wants. People aren't going to like it. But after that season wrapped, Steve Carell went off. I guess he'd already done the 40-year-old virgin, because it came out that year. And it was a huge hit. He's suddenly this big star. But along with that, Greg Daniels, the uh, I believe the show's creator, if not at least the head writer 
uh, saw the movie, as as writers will, and really enjoyed one aspect of Steve Carell's character in that movie. This aspect of kind of like this this glimmer of hope, and and, and his kindness as a character, and like because he had this connection to the office, he wanted to see it keep going. When it came time to you know try to get a second season, he had. Steve Carell's new star power going for him, and he kind of convinced the other writers to go along with this idea that every episode, however bleak, however terrible and cringy it, it gets, should always have this this little glimmer of hope at the end of it. And I think that also plays into why people enjoy watching it, because, you know, 18, 19 minutes of it, total cringe. How are these people still employed? How are these people not being sued left right and center or whatever but then those last minutes it's like oh well maybe they're not all bad maybe this around me this my life is not all bad but that's like really lazy like you want to find a glimmer of hope i'm pretty sure you can find it in the most miserable of shows <laughs> if you take a look of the the cultural landscape of the time you take a look at 2005 what was airing mm-hmm. you get lots of different shows you got how i met your mother Yep. which has just as much rewatchability, gifability, memeability, <laughs> what have you. And maybe mm-hmm. it played out at the time, whatever. You have Supernatural, you have Grey's Anatomy, you have Criminal Minds, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I have only seen bits and pieces of, but would argue is better and darker. Apparently another show that people watch on loop, apparently. Oh, well, then this is news to me. <laughs> uh, you've, you've got American Dad, you've got My Name is Earl, you've got Hell's Kitchen, you've got lots of shows. Lost. Oh, was that 2005 as well? Yep. It was around there. Okay. I was mostly looking at sitcoms, like comparable. Well, sorry, yeah. I say Grey's Anatomy. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I was mostly looking at an IMDb list. As far as I know, I've never watched an episode of It's Always Sunny, admittedly. But like from what I can tell from people I've talked to, like the whole point is everyone is a garbage person on that show. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's great. <laughs> I've also heard that. I've also heard that it's great. <laughs> and I I think, Z, you're talking about, you know, it's darkness, but there's also the glimmer of hope or whatever. I feel like nine times out of ten, the glimmer of hope, it depends on the context. I feel like it's never from Michael's story. <laughs> like, even even if it ends with Michael being like, you know, I'm okay with what happened today because X, Y, and Z, that's not, like, he he never learns anything. Uh, no, no. I mean, that that could be one of the big differences between the UK version and the US version. Like, my my impression right now, uh, and maybe I'll wind up cutting this out, but my impression right now is that with the US show, it just kind of goes for seven seasons, and then Michael's like, oh, hey guys, I gotta go, bye. With the UK version, by the end of it, Ricky Gervais' character actually does learn a lot and applies at least some of it. So there's like a transformation there. So what I'm what I'm assuming is that over the seven seasons, there's also a transformation in Michael Scott. But I don't know if that's the case. Right. However minor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's the thing. I feel like what happens with Michael is he gets what he wants so he doesn't bother anybody. I feel like that's what happens. I feel like he doesn't progress. Okay. At the same time, I think that Dwight K. Schrute has one of the best character arcs on television. (laughs) 
It's I'm two episodes in and already I can see why people like Dwight so much. Rain Wilson is 110% committed to everything. <laughs> and I feel like like from the beginning to the end of season nine, he, he goes on like a, an incredible, believable journey and actually changes. Hmm. I'm willing to believe that. I will buy that. But as somebody who has only seen five minutes of one episode and an entire other episode, <laughs> full disclosure, G was telling us before we started, you want a good example of The Office, watch this clip. Yes. And it was, there were humorous moments, it's, it's fire drill, I don't remember which season it's from, but it's it's Dwight running a fire drill because people didn't pay enough attention to his tra- safety briefing. And the th- there were definitely funny moments in it, but in both those instances, if you look at them from a single episode perspective, for me, I had a very hard time getting into any of the show. There were like little moments where it's like, oh, that's kind of funny. But for the most part, I couldn't get into it. I know that's not what this is about, mm-hmm. but just you were talking about this big, long character arc. And the part that I'm having a, a problem connecting is how can you get that loop started? Because I am not in a position that I want to. Like one of, one of the things you, you have written down in the show notes mm-hmm. is we're talking about Netflix contacting a viewer asking if they were okay after watching The Office for a week straight. Wow. How do you get into that position, G? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I think the person who was downplayed it quite a bit. I was like, oh, I was just watching a bunch of The Office or something like that. <laughs> and Netflix is like, are you okay? You haven't, like, done anything <laughs> else. <laughs> I think it's an interesting position because I'd say there are, like, many, many, many shows that are better than The Office. Like, from before The Office and during and now. Yeah. You never have to watch it. But if you decide what I'm going to do is go through the office like it perhaps sounds like Z is going to do, then I feel like it gets it becomes richer the more time you spend with it. Like as you as you get to know all the characters. Mm-hmm. Michael accepted. <laughs> and that was one of the things that was mentioned in the articles that I was reading. It was talking about how one of the things that's great about the show is the amount of detail that they get into. They will get into the minutiae of something ridiculous, but they will be very invested in it, and that enriches the entire experience. Mm-hmm. They might mention that Dwight, you know, his big thing is having a beet farm, and then later, when the show has kind of played out its first bit of, guys, it's a toxic workplace, they go off to talk more about the characters, and hey, he's on a beet farm, because that's a thing that we brought up, and it's not a throwaway detail. Mm-hmm. No, the show builds on its mythology, such as it is, pretty well, one step at a time. And, you know, I've only watched it through once. Saw a lot of people in the research saying I find a new thing every single time. Yeah. Like a new little nugget, or maybe something that comes up later that is seeded earlier. Again, can't say I've only watched it once, but um, I certainly would believe it. There's like a good detail to the writing that could certainly be in there. I think one of the other reasons, and this was one of your points, G, people are constantly watching The Office, and I can't really deny this after seeing only a little bit of it. You'd mentioned people get through hard times in their personal lives via The Office, and as I was watching through The Office and noticing how absolutely terrible work is there, I get it. I I get 
how people can get through hard times watching The Office because there's so much that you can just pick and you're like, that's me. That's me right there. That's my life. I'm dealing with this jerk of a boss. I'm dealing with this insensitive person. This guy is taking his job way too seriously and that's above my pay grade. (laughs) I mean, that's Dwight, but yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that people did like it so much was that, you know, despite a lot of awful moments in it, it feels more real than a lot of previous sitcoms did. Like, a lot of things don't resolve cleanly. A lot of things are just awkward as people's um, competing interests, like, clash into each other. And I think that increases the relatability a lot. And there are tons of characters, so it's very easy for people to see themselves in a bunch of the different characters. Yeah. I don't know if either of you came across this, but I found this fantastic article about this very topic from Bustle. Oh, uh, I read something from Bustle. I'm assuming it's the same it's thing. It's probably the same thing, which was all about like the psychology behind people using the office to help them through dark times, to help them with their anxiety or depression, that kind of stuff. And in this article, the author interviewed the director of the Media Psychology Research Center, Pamela Rutledge. I did read this. Awesome. She had all sorts of things to say, mentioned the multiple characters. So there are multiple sort of entry points for people mentioned the detail and how, you know, things are so meticulously detailed that people can find something different every time they watch. But she also pointed out a few other things like how this office is something that's very relatable to people, like not just the characters, not just the fact that, you know, the jobs, but the setting itself and the situations and then how the show finds humor in these situations that can be very relatable sort of help people weirdly sort of simulate finding humor in their own real situations that they relate to those situations which can help relieve anxiety around said situations being very circular but just check out that bustle article but what i found really interesting was that the way the set is designed and the way that it's just more or less a single set, the office, makes it a show that's like a neutral resting place for your brain. It's not going anywhere. There are these people. Once the show is over, you know, the lights go off, whatever. The office is closed until the next time you hear that that music, that intro. We're talking about a show where these people are not ambitious. The, the show is not about people being ambitious and getting places. Mm-hmm. It's, it's as you said, it's supposed to be relatable. It's about people being in a dead-end kind of position. And I think one of the characters, possibly Stanley, says in the show, this is a running-out-the-clock kind of situation. Especially because Dunder Mifflin is this company that may or may not be able to stay open. Or the, the branches is in a precarious situation. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of the office is how meticulously, like, mundane it is, right? It's a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. or a.k.a. any town USA. <laughs> and it sort of celebrates how small time everything is. Yeah. It's not like they're lawyers in New York or something like that. So that low level that it sits on would reach a lot of people because most people aren't living glamorous lives or like in busy cities or stuff like that no they're working with people who just are trying to get by and you know 
there's maybe even that person who will like listen to you, commiserate with you, and will do absolutely nothing to help you. I'm looking at you, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's not even my point. That's from an article on GQ, Does the Office Hold Up? And the exact quote, the guy you tell about your trauma only to have him commiserate and then do nothing. Yeah, just look at the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is the one takeaway from the show. Jim staring at the camera. Pam rolling her eyes. (laughs) Jim's got like a Jon Stewart quality where he just uh, look and doesn't have to make a joke. Yeah, and I mean, maybe this is where people love or hate the show where that divide happens because the first bunch of seasons are that super relatable familiar boring office mundane office i should say and once the show has kind of run its course in that regard you can't really get too much out of that and that's why the uk office ended because they thought that the show could only run out that concept so long after that they start to go in different directions they they dig more into people's lives or in the case of g's relief michael leaves the show I feel like we could have a whole episode about how Michael is a terrible person, but uh, I haven't seen enough to earn the right to speak that way. Well, in the American office, it's all about digging down on the characters. Because I'm going to point this out. Z, I'm sorry, like some stuff is going to come up that happens in the office. I hope you're not too keen on, on going into the whole series fresh. I will probably just glaze it over by the time I get to it. I'll be like in the back of my head. Oh, yeah, this was mentioned. Because one example is, like, we talk about Jim and his aloofness, and he's, like, the cool guy, and he's constantly pulling pranks on and making fun of Dwight. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the dynamic that goes on. But there's a certain point where they get into a snowball fight, and Jim's like, okay, we're outside, we're going to do a snowball fight, and Dwight just pummels him with snowballs until he breaks his nose and his nose is bleeding. What? <laughs> to the point where Jim is like, like, I'm not kidding around anymore. Okay, we can, we can stop. Like, he's completely out of his element. He's not cool. And he's completely scared that Dwight is going to throw another snowball at him. Wow. And that's like playing off of like five seasons worth of that Jim-Dwight dynamic. And mm-hmm. like getting to see a moment like that is like actually really cool. And that's something we didn't get to with the, I think, 12 episode UK office. Not so much, no. No, I think the the big uh, moment with the UK office was more the relationship between Don and Tim. Tim, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as we were talking about, we know Michael's awful, but Jim is like complicit, basically. Yeah. But yeah, there's like <laughs> a lot of stuff that happens that's like flagrantly not cool. Then there's also attitudes that are like fairly awful. One of the examples is at one point... Michael starts dating Pam's mom and they're having a great relationship and it's like her birthday and Michael and Pam's mom and Pam and Jim are out to lunch celebrating Pam's mom's birthday. And then Michael finds out that she's like 50 and immediately dumps her. That's not funny. No. Like, I know, I know it's supposed to be. It's not. I mean. Do you remember if it's played up for laughs? It's, well... Because I feel like that's more a moment where it's like, Michael's a terrible person, exhibit A. Mm, it depends, sense of humor, because that whole moment is like living in the cringe. Mm-hmm. And that's what the show does a lot of the time. I'm not super comfortable being in that area, so I spent that time hating Michael. All of the times where he was like in a weird situation that he wanted to get out of because of his selfishness, I just hated him. 
But what happened was, as soon as he hears what her age is, you see the look on his face and you realize that he realizes that he's like, oh, she's old. I can't date her. And then he spends like 10 minutes trying to backpedal and leave. So, no, I didn't find that funny. I just wonder if it's supposed to be a laugh line, so to speak. I, mm. The cringe of the show is supposed to be a laugh line. Gee, you originally posed, has the office become problematic? Ooh. And the answer is, it hasn't become, it always was. Mm-hmm. But posing it differently, how much of the office being problematic is Michael? As I said, I, I sighed. A sigh of relief when he left. We have Andy Bernard in charge after that, and various others. Uh, played by Ed Helms, who who at, at times they try to like get him to go into that Michael territory, but he never really does. He is the guy that's got the good heart that like messes up sometimes. He's like the <laughs> he's the heart that people keep saying that Michael is to me. He is less selfish than Michael, and like Michael is not like wholly responsible for it, but he takes the lion's share. Like they really didn't replace him. Or spread his material out among everybody else. When he went like that idea kind of went as well. And if the whole show had just been that, I would have liked it even more. Like with Ed Helms at the helm? Yes. Don't at me. Or do. Time to at you. <laughs> I know I don't have a lot of basis for this, having only seen two episodes of the first season. And having the UK office to compare to. Just in general, I get the impression the first season is closer to the UK office and all that stuff. But like, in the two episodes that I've seen, it's undeniable Michael has acted selfish. Especially in Diversity Day, when he basically says, Your diversity presentation wasn't good enough. Mine's better. And like, it's definitely, definitely undefendable, indefensible even, (laughs) to say that he is not problematic. But... Even though I've only seen two episodes, I feel like he doesn't represent the show. Because in the first episode, not so much. But in the second episode, when like he's doing his Diversity Day activity, when everybody has like a sort of Pictionary-style card on their head that has like a country or, quote, race on it. <laughs> and he, you know, is talking to this woman who I guess is of Indian heritage coming back from like a meeting. And he's doing this terrible, hideous impression of, like, the most stereotypical Indian person ever. Um, And then, like, finally, she just slaps him. To me, that's the show saying, we know this is terrible. We're punishing it. I don't know if that continues on in later episodes or if that's just, like, a first season thing. Well, another thing that was brought up in that GQ article is the show will frequently lampshade stuff like that. Like, Michael is clearly being wrong. However, he is seldom punished for it. Okay. Yeah. I was watching the episode with the Dundies, mm-hmm. and, you know, Michael really loves these. No one else does. I mean, Jim does, but that doesn't count. And they're just internal awards. They weren't supposed to happen because he has too many office parties or something like that. And most of them are just his opportunity to make fun of other people. He has one award for Pam, which is the longest engagement because she's been engaged to this guy and hasn't gotten married to him and they do it every year and it's really hurtful to her and it changes that year but it changes because of jim Mm -hmm. and nobody enjoys this event pam is getting smashed drunk Mm -hmm. but he keeps doing these awards and everybody hates it until 
a bunch of people from the bar that they're at pick on him because of his terrible singing. And then all of a sudden, everyone feels pity for him. They don't sympathize with him. They pity him. And then it's like, oh, wow, now we want to do the awards. Like, that's not, that's not like, oh, Michael's learned a thing or Michael's been punished. No. There's another example, and I didn't see this episode, but it sounded terrible. Michael accidentally outs a coworker as being gay, mm-hmm. which terrible, but you know, it could happen as an accident. And then to make the situation better, kisses his coworker. Yeah, that was just terrible. That's not okay. Nope. No. And he's not punished. Nope. No, pretty much every episode he should be fired or something. Yeah. Obviously, you can't do that because then you don't have a show or you'd have to do something really interesting to keep him on the show. Like, you know, he's someone obsessed with the company and keeps coming back. But they don't do that because that's a ridiculous concept. I mean, the weird thing is, is like I see on one hand, people like how down to earth the show is and how realistic it is. And be like, oh, I know people like this. And at the same time, I see like, oh, but like the like Dunderbuffin isn't any real office you could ever work in. Those people aren't real. They're obviously ridiculous. So I'm like, which is it? Like, Michael learns about the idea of a roast. And he wants everyone to roast him. (laughs) And everyone's like, are you sure you know what this is? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it happens. And he's like super hurt about everything that everybody says, unsurprisingly. And then he, like, at the end, he just goes out into the office and, and roasts, one sentence roasts everybody in the office. Oh, I think I've seen that clip. So, yeah, a majority of the show is about a white dude's butthurt feelings. It really is. Um, but <laughs> if you get to know some of the other characters, it gets better. It did for me. I can see what you're saying about some of the other characters making the show a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Jim seems okay. Pam seems like this one person who just gets picked on for no apparent reason. Dwight I can't stand in the one instance that I saw him, but I've seen other clips of him, and I he seems okay there. Dwight is awful in a different way, in a way that I don't mind so much. Uh-huh. Like, he's more law and duty bound, Oh yeah, but is consistent in his own internal rules. And Pam, actually, the more the series goes on, the more Pam kind of, like, not comes out of her shell, but, like, she gets more comfortable. And then, like, she's the one doing pranks sometimes. She's the one telling jokes. Like, she's the one that's often in control of situations later on, which is also great to see. Mm -hmm. The characters might get better. I think we can all just say that the show is problematic. And even Steve Carell thinks that the show wouldn't work today and is best to leave untouched. So, sorry, folks, you're not getting your office reboot or... I don't, I don't know why you'd want that. Just rewatch it. Ah. Sorry, there were only nine seasons. Yeah, sorry for that. One thing that I found that I have to bring up on this episode, and gee, you feel free to cut this if it doesn't fit. I learned that some ad company went out and did some research on, on TV viewers and tried to link them to personality traits. And it's okay that The Office is problematic because... People who consider themselves superior to others are 47% more likely to watch The Office. That's right. They're all jerks. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. The quote says, These alpha dogs believe they are extraordinary and happily brag about their accomplishments. They prefer to be in charge, 
directing others rather than being directed. So, for all of you gyms smugly looking at the camera right now, you can keep your office and its problematic parts. That's fine. And those people probably identify with Jim or with Michael a lot. Yeah. Like, I know there are people who are unabashedly just like Michael. Please point those people out if we cross paths. Ah! Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll give you a nudge and uh, point them, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll get to work. As I said, all the supporting cast, as the show goes on, they they come up, they get more filled out, and they are what makes the show worth watching for me. But instead of, you know, that emerging core of characters that eventually blossoms and makes everything okay, why not watch a show that's just better than that, a la Parks and Rec, which is what my famous last words were. Parks and Rec is just an unabashedly great show, an unabashedly positive show, and maybe one of the best ensemble shows of all time. And so my question was, why do people watch The Office endlessly and like, like wither Parks and Rec? And the answer is sort of like people do that with Parks and Rec too. Is it the same showrunners? Michael Schur is in both. Mm. I don't think Greg Daniels is involved with Parks and Rec. No. Okay. Michael Schur, also responsible for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, and The Good Place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got a good batting average. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually seen a lot of people saying that they consider it to be the better show. But I think The Office has, it was first and has its hooks in familiarity. Certainly more GIFs and memes than Parks and Rec yeah. that I've seen online these days. But I think a lot of people seem to consider Parks and Rec like actually the better show. I mean, it's a little shorter. It's still seven seasons long. Yeah. But like the ultimate answer is people do it with both of them. So that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> that dovetails nicely into my famous last words, which were, you know, like MASH, will the office stand the test of time? If you had no context, that statement seems really weird that you would compare The Office and MASH. Yeah. Yeah. But it's only because we did the episode on it. Because I think The Office, like you said, just has those hooks. It happened much like MASH at a time when certain technologies became available to make things more available. The Office came out in the mid-2000s. Streaming was starting to be a thing. And people who grew up with that are now able to stream it even if they didn't see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so whether or not there are or were better shows if you saw a little bit of it you've got nostalgic hooks if you enjoyed it then you've got more nostalgic hooks and you know why would you watch a different show when you can watch one that you've seen and really enjoy (laughs) i'm not i'm not saying that as a criticism there's lots of things that people watch just because they watched in the past and enjoyed it but i was looking at google trends and how i met your mother has in general, been more popular than The Office and definitely has been more popular than The Office for a longer period of time. And yet, we're talking about The Office. We're talking about The Office gifts and memes and whatnot. We are not talking about Barney Stinson and the bro code. (laughs) So riddle me that. I think The Office will stand the test of time whether it is good or not. I'm not saying it's terrible, but I'm saying there might be better shows like Parks and Rec. Or for me, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place. I even think, like, the sheer amount of gifts and memes would drive some people to watch The Office. Be like, where's all, like, oh, man, all these hilarious gifts are, are coming out of this one show. I better watch it. Well, with this Google Trends stuff, it does look like The Office is the one that's got the highest average. It's the steadiest line. Out of Parks and Rec, How I Met Your Mother, and The Office, 
the office is currently enjoying quite a bit of popularity, like double, triple the popularity of those other two shows. And this is after a lull for like the last three, four years. So it definitely doesn't look like The Office is here to stay. First season came out 14 years ago. Wow. There's uh, there's one question we need to answer. Z, your famous last words last week. That's right. Cosplay. It seems like there's a little bit. <laughs> Searching for The Office cosplay, just in general, turned up a fair bit of Pinterest posts. Not about cosplay, though, but about Halloween costumes for teens, for adults, for kids. But searching for San Diego Comic-Con, the office cosplay, led me to one picture of somebody dressed up as Dwight at Phoenix Comic-Con. I'm looking at that picture now. It is spot on. Yes, yes. So there is some, but it's... Not a big thing in the cosplay community, unless you're just dressing up for a a Halloween party, I guess. I mean, unless you really, like, get a specific instance of the show, you're just wearing a suit, right? More or less. Or if you happen to have a strong resemblance. Yeah. There's that too, yeah. Coincidental cosplay. (laughs) Or I guess you could recognize it and do it on purpose, but like... Yep. You can't plan that shit. No. So... I guess that brings us to the conclusion about The Office. That's right. I kind of agree with Steve Carell in that I think The Office is definitely a show of its time. You couldn't make something like it today. And to be honest, you probably wouldn't want to because why would you want to make the same thing over and over again? We already have The Simpsons. We already have Family Guy. We already have shows that try to do some new things but mostly do the same old stuff. But also I think since The Office has come out, as we've touched on a little bit, there are shows that are better that have come out. I'm looking specifically at The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which are fantastic and so relevant to today, especially Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll watch that much more of The Office. I'll probably check out a couple more episodes to see, but I watched that one episode and just couldn't stand it. I could barely stand the clip that you showed me, G, because I just thought how awful the thing Dwight was doing was. Even if it's supposed to be funny, it was not. So I'm not a big fan. I'll continue to get the references in the same way that I understand many things that I've never seen. That is the nature of memes. And that's fine. It's just fine. Well, I feel like I've I've sort of like outlined my conclusion on the show already. I mean, I've, I've watched it all already and I probably won't do that again. I won't be a, I won't be a looper when it comes to the office. It actually sort of makes me want to rewatch parks and rec after all we've been talking about it, <laughs> <laughs> but I understand why people love this show so much. And I even kind of understand why people would loop it. I don't rewatch a lot of stuff. I don't reread a lot of stuff. I always want to leap to a new thing. But, you know, if there's a fondness, maybe you watch The Office at a specific time in your life and rewatching it reminds you of that time and makes you feel good inside. I get that. I get that too. It is what it is, and there's a lot of good stuff to be mined out of there, but there are better shows, in my opinion. I enjoyed watching it, but I don't need to do it again. 
Sounds pretty fair. As for me, I've started to climb this this jerk-ass mountain. <laughs> and I'm going to continue climbing it. I'm going to I'm going to reach the peak. What? I'm going to reach peak white guy butthurt feelings. <laughs> But seriously, I feel, even though I've only watched two episodes, even though I guess the show will change somewhat after the first season, I feel its tendrils reaching out for me already. And I kind of feel similar to how I felt when I watched the UK office. You know, that that desire to watch more. Each episode feels too short. Mm. So on and so forth. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go through the series, see what I see. All right. That is one positive thing I can say about the show. I really appreciated the episodes were short. That's true. Yeah. Just little bite-sized Dan Brown chapter-sized episodes. Ah! Oof. Is that a double burn? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Z. When we get to the finale of season 10, I want your trip report on where you are. Ah! Oh. I want an office update. Sure. All right. I'll remember. Hopefully, you will both remember. Oh, I'll remember. You'll remember. (laughs) But before we get to that, however, we have to do our famous last words for next week's topic, which is a thing that I don't remember. (laughs) You better get in a big hurry. Gotta go real fast. It's uh, important that this package gets there tomorrow. Rush. Yeah, that's right. That thing that Z whispered and made vague allusions to. We're talking about the Canadian prog rock band, Rush? Have I got those right? That's right. All those details are correct. Those are words that I don't usually string together, so I'm a little bit out of practice. <laughs> I'm definitely going to say something Sorry, we were stupid. talking about Canadian prog rock band, Rush, and that means... What are your famous last words about Rush? Or Rush fans? So, Rush is a band I know quite a bit about. I've watched one and a half documentaries about them. I actually started one today. <laughs> I'm halfway through it. But they always had a lot of fans at their shows. They never seemed to lack for fans. I'm wondering if they were continually acquiring fans as their career went, or if everyone was just in there for Tom Sawyer and, and aged. Ah, I'm sure there were people who went to see them when they were playing church basements and just never stopped seeing them. It's a tough one, but what I want to know, in fans opinion many fans multiple fans how does clockwork angels stack up to 2112 interesting 2112 is this concept album that they put together and they were sort of in their early days at least early days of stardom and clockwork angels is another concept album that they put together down the road quite a ways it's uh, much more recent i believe it is their last album actually yeah i think you're dead on with that but speaking personally clockwork angels i don't know just didn't click as much are fans just so rabid for rush that it's like more rush ah of course yes i love it or is there is there a little bit more i guess for lack of a better term curation involved in the fandom like, is there a cutoff point for curation? Yeah. TLDR defends like Clockwork Angels as much as 2112. Ooh, man. 
Oh, this is a hard one. I want to know how much of Rush fandom is about Rush and how much of it is about prog rock. Okay. Good avenues to explore there. By that, I just mean that we talk about a lot of different things. Like, we could talk about shonen fans and probably wouldn't see too much distinction between Dragon Ball Z and Bleach and whatever, and even anime in general. But, like, are people hardcore dedicated to Rush? Or do they just like prog rock and Rush is just like a favorite band among many others? Okay, there's a lot to get into there. That's going to do it for this episode of Fanthropological. If you're interested in finding more, head on over to Fanthropological.com or the podcaster of your choice. We'll be there. Uh, give us a rating, give us a review, and hit the subscribe button to get a brand new episode every Friday. And if you have stuff to say, about the stuff that we said in this episode or any previous episode, hit us up at the NixCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and let us know what you think. Why do you watch The Office endlessly on a loop? What's your opinion on Michael? Is Dwight not the greatest character in uh, American television history? <laughs> let us know. But until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. So yeah, a majority of the show is about a white dude's butthurt feelings. It really is. Um, but <laughs> if you get to know some of the other characters, it gets better. It did for me. I mean, quick aside, great title. White dude's butthurt feelings. <laughs> <laughs>